China is shifting, has been shifting for many、mm. years now,、uh, from an export-led, infrastructure-led economy to a consumption-driven one, and encouraging fitness is an important part of that. Some of the the advice that we give when they're coming into China is you really have to think long term. You can absolutely not come into China and expect to make good money within 12 months and then turn around and leave. You really have to respect the market, invest in the market, play the long game. I think、uh, the Chinese government deserve a lot of credit. To let the population, you know, growing up from largely from the countryside, to get to know a playground, playground with football or basketball court on which they can practice something with the ball. The chat lounge. Chat lounge. Chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Hello and welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Today we take a look at China's fitness industry, the market potential of it, the demography of it, and how China's government policy incentivizes the growth of it, and much more. Joining me today are Dong Jun, co-founder of EI Asia Limited, a culture business advisory firm; Dennis Green, international PR director at Mailman Group, a global sports digital consultancy; and Andy Mark, senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Thank you all for talking to me today. Now, first up,、uh, let me go to Dennis first.、Um, So、uh, basically, in general, who are going to to gyms or on fitness programs、uh, these days in China? In your observation, and、uh, geographically, where are these people located?、Uh, yeah, good, good question to kick off with.、Um, <laughs> I think there are a lot more、uh, people going to gyms and fitness programs. I think there's a much wider demographic of people in China that are that are actively staying healthy. Uh, compared to say pre pre COVID, I think the the pandemic and the lockdowns have really made people wake up and realise that physical health and mental health are are very well connected, and this is something that people are really looking to get more involved in. And、um, particularly during the lockdowns, people were at home trying to keep fit through online apps and fitness programs、um, because they simply couldn't go outside and use. Recreational, recreational facilities and parks and gyms. So I think now you're seeing not just sort of the twenty to thirty-five year olds sort of in the gyms and trying to stay fit. I think you're seeing more of the elder generations and even the younger generations、um, that are participating. And even when you look at things like esports, there's been a limit on the number of hours that. Youngsters or people can play sports games online, so they even have more time for recreational facilities.、Mm. And then to add to that, you have the、uh, double reduction policy, so there's less people or less kids that are attending after-hours <laughs> English lessons、mm-hmm. or after-hours classes. So there's much more time now for all of these demographics to be getting involved in fitness, in sports, in. Offline games and online games. So yeah, I see a much more wide, diverse group of people in China that are now、um, getting fit. Mm. Well, Andy, what what what's your observation? I know you you know you you are you go to the gyms、uh, quite often, right? 
Uh, yes, that's definitely true. Mm. Um, but let me start with uh, a little bit of historical context to add to what we just heard, which is absolutely correct. Mm. Um, we have to recognize that, first of all, not that long ago, certainly during the lifetime of many people still living in China today, uh, China was rural and poor. And today uh, it is urbanizing and moderately well off. So what does this mean? In a rural and poor country, everyone is engaging in a lot of physical labor just to survive. And so I think one of the big drivers of fitness in China, and I would put it more than gyms and maybe call it organized fitness, mm -hmm. and there's a lot that falls under this rubric. Um, one, that there's just a societal demand, literally 1.4 billion people recognize, and there's a genuine need to be more fit. And the government, the private sector are stepping up. I think that's one thing. The second, from a macro perspective, is uh, urbanization. So as China is becoming a more prosperous country, it is also urbanizing. Not completely urbanized, but urbanizing. Mm. And this is a double-edged sword. Because this means, of course, people have greater access to health care, education, other amenities. But also, one of the most important benefits of organized fitness is not just improving your physical health and maybe your mental health, but the social aspect as well is very, very important. So I think this is important to recognize. Personally speaking, yes, um, I can speak probably for hours about the, uh, about the fitness market in China. Mm. I go to CrossFit regularly. Uh, I do what's called bouldering or uh, rock climbing indoors, mm. but also... Uh, as uh, someone that uh, is was a former private equity investor, I looked at the space from an investment business perspective. So definitely lots of stories to tell. But I think the two main points I wanted to share now are that there is a universal need for organized fitness uh, mm. because China's just transformed remarkably over the last several decades. Mm. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to the the details of uh, you know the market uh, in just a bit. Uh, but uh, Dong Jun, what, what's your observation? What do you think uh, are some of the reasons or backgrounds of uh, you know more and more people going to the gyms? Yes, I, I like to follow up on what Andy just put it out uh, mm. to go back a little bit further to the historical backdrop of this policy or strategy. Uh, you know, it's undeniable that, you know, before maybe just a century ago, the, the whole nation of China was, uh, you know, developing by itself. Mm. Uh, there is no data to, you know, to show that how, how many among the old China populations actually practice any physical activities like martial arts. And there is no evidence to say that back then, the, por the portion of the population practicing martial arts or physical activities was smaller than today's fitness goers <laughs> is that we because we don't have the proof. But uh, one thing that it's very difficult to deny is, you know, the Chinese sports, traditional sports, uh, had been uh, running parallel uh, with the international or Western-style Olympic sports mm. until the most recent century. So I think from, you know, uh, the decades before the People's Republic was founded and also 
the many decades following the founding, I think government and society with intellectuals playing key roles have been trying very hard to educate or to at least influence uh, the general public, the general population of China, to let them know and get a visual idea what international sports were about. And I think uh, the Chinese government deserve a lot of credit to let the population, you know, growing up from largely from the countryside, <laughs> uh, to get to know a playground, playground with football or basketball court uh, on which they can practice something with the ball, and also with the in the education system, physical education was introduced.、Mm. And interestingly, in Chinese. It means sports means physical education instead of you know <laughs>、yes. uh, neglecting all the other aspects, multifacets of、uh, modern sports. But yes, I, I think、uh, even before the opening up of China in the early 1980s,、uh, the population was by no means very new、mm. uh, to modern sports. But you know, after China rejoined the international Olympic movement、mm-hmm. and did quite well in Los Angeles in 1984,、mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe the population, especially in urban areas, were motivated to follow up on their elite athletes' performance on the international stage. But、uh, into the 1990s, that was pretty early. From you know, counting from now, thirty thirty、uh, years ago,、mm. sports for all, which is the larger backdrop for this National Fitness Day, sports for all was already written into the state council policy, or is it already became a national strategy,、mm. promoted and even sponsored by the government. As early as the early 1990s,、mm. you know, sports for all people should on, not only follow their, you know, in a kind of detached perspective, follow their professional or elite Chinese athletes.、Uh, they should practice sports by themselves. Of course, there are sports classes, physical education classes,、uh, at elementary and, and middle schools. But what about after you graduate from schools? After graduate from college, do you still practice sports? I think the government over the last thirty years have been trying to, you know, mobilize、uh, the general public, especially those in urban areas,、mm-hmm. who. Do have access to sporting facilities? Well, I guess、uh, over the years, people have always been practicing this, but、uh, for different purposes at different times. But talking about figures, I have some here. So various reports show that around 2020 to 2021, there are about 50,000 fitness clubs in China. I guess most of these are in you know major first or second tier cities,、uh, and the ratio of people owning a gym membership is around. Five percent. Now, Dennis, what's your reading of these figures? Because I, I don't think I don't feel like、uh, you know five percent is quite a big number, right? Yeah, it's very difficult to put a sort of summary on five percent. Sure, it doesn't sound like a, a big number,、mm. um, but when you consider the population size of of China,、uh, it's it's a huge country with a massive population, and then also, as you mentioned, the number of gyms. Um, the majority of those potentially are in tier one、uh, to tier two cities in in China. There's probably not 
that many available in the sort of tier three, tier, tier four cities. And let's not forget that some of these gyms, they, they can be expensive uh, to, to become a member. Um, so if you're presented with the option of either joining a gym or joining a sports team or a community running team or just simply going running by yourself or getting some walking in, people might opt for the for the option which is free or, or cheaper than, than joining a gym. Mm. Um, so it would be interesting to see what this number was, say, five, ten years ago. I don't mm. know off the top of my head. Um, but I would certainly expect over the next three to five years that this number would increase mm. um, by, by a few percentage as China continues its urbanization, more, more cities in China are building the infrastructure to have gymnasiums and, and sports facilities. Um, I've certainly noticed, I've, I've been in Shanghai for almost five years now, and right. definitely seen more and more gyms opening um, around the city. Previously, when I was in Beijing for a few years, mm. it was similar. There were more and more. Um, if I sort of do a comparison to to the UK, where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like there wouldn't be a huge um, percentage bigger in the UK from, from what I can remember. Mm. Um, I still think gyms in the UK were definitely sort of a an elitist sort of upper class um, location they're, mm. they're, they're very expensive to join in, in the UK and, and probably similar to the US as well um, so I certainly feel like communities sports teams running teams are definitely a good way for people to, to keep fit and not necessarily have to join a gym mm. um, so, so yeah I, I expect the number to, to increase over, over the coming years um, but, but it does seem uh, f- fairly low um, percentage. Mm. Well, Andy, what's your observation? It, w- 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 I mean, the, the number is big, but the percentage is not that big, right? 5%. Yeah, I think it, it's hard to say. So, I mean, what I would say here is that, um, so I was recently in Hunan province a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago. And you know, even in the third tier cities, there are a lot of gyms. And the gyms range from the ones at five-star hotels, which, of course, are for the hotel guests. But Mm. they also sell memberships uh, to people that are not hotel guests. So I was at a a hotel, and we include the swimming pool as part of the gym. It was packed. (laughs) And, in fact, many people come from surrounding areas as sort of a small staycation to bring their kids. Um, And that's one end of the market that might be at the higher end. There are also uh, many lower-end gyms that are quite inexpensive. Uh, I think even in Beijing, you could pay uh, one two thousand RMB a year. So this would be about one hundred and fifty to three hundred US dollars a year mm. for membership. Mm-hmm. And these are relatively basic. You know, they may have some barbells, some weight machines, and that's about it. The other big trend I've seen uh, the last few years is the rise of these uh, so-called workout studios, <laughs> which are often in apartment buildings uh, that are converted flats, and they offer one-on-one training or small group classes. And what's interesting about these businesses is that, of course, employment is a big issue for China. And for many young people that uh, enjoy fitness, uh They may get a a coaching certificate, a training certificate, and these are relatively low investment businesses. So they come and go fairly quickly. 
Um, but they're also a good source of employment. Um, you know, they can offer quite good training and most importantly, I think, convenience. Mm. So I think that the market is growing. Uh, I don't know if 5% is a big number or not, but the most interesting feature that I see is segmentation, meaning there's a mm. high end, like I said, these five-star hotel gyms. There's also Pilates studios. Uh, as I mentioned, CrossFit is not cheap uh, anywhere in the world, but it's certainly not cheap in China mm. to these uh, much more basic uh, gyms as well. And I think that's a very healthy sign that we see this degree of market segmentation. Mm, I guess uh, different people will have, you know, different needs uh, in this area. Uh, I have some other figure here. According to a 2017, uh, 2016 to 2017 China fitness industry white paper, uh, in 2016 alone, I mean, that's already five years ago, right? Six years ago, 2.8 million people participated in 328 marathons. Uh, I mean, the latter number being 14 times the level of uh, five years ago. I just want to um, ask, um, maybe Dong Jun first, uh, does, uh, you know, people's passion in running in marathon generally reflect their passion in taking any kind of physical exercise? Yes, I, I like the word passion because, mm. uh, you know, when you want to convince people with thousands of years of their own act, uh, physical activities to convert to modern sports, uh, it's much, much more than it takes more than very rational scientific thinking mm. about what your objectives are and wa what you want to achieve uh, in a year or two. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's lifestyle in general. And more specifically, it's about for you to follow the trend, uh, which is the fashion among people that, you know, uh, belong to your own cohorts, if you like. Mm. Uh, I, I think, you know, KOLs online played such a key role, you know, wooing a lot of followers <laughs> to do the same. And then there will be competitions. I think it should be much more than fitness practicing all the time. Very, very boring. And you should up the game to mm. show, you know, your own improvement and where you are against others and friendly, in a friendly manner. And, mm. and, you know, even national contests or competitions. I think the game needs comprehensive development. And that's exactly what's going on. And that has already been going even before the pandemic. Mm. So it's interesting for us to analyze what has actually slowed down because of the pandemic. Mm. Yeah, what some new phenomena are emerging in China. I strongly suspect that maybe three years ago, we can, we can you know, be very relevantly talking about fitness goers, uh, fin, uh, you know, workout practicing people. But now, we should pay more attention to outdoor activities, mm. even winter sports. In Paris, in three years, and there will be, you know, break dancing and a lot of other extreme sports. Mm. And don't be surprised if by then you find a lot of fan base, a, a very large fan base here in China, mm. really out of out of your expectations. Because I I strongly suspect in Beijing, Shanghai, the the big cities. There is a fast-growing number of people practicing from very young people to uh, you know, middle-aged people practicing uh, skateboarding. And uh, China may, may be already having the biggest population 
of borders mm -hmm. <laughs> in the world. Don't be surprised that we've already have the largest population of piano players, ballet dancers, everything,、right. and even English as a second language speakers、mm. every day in the world. <laughs> so I I think it's it's booming.、Mm. Yeah, free speech. Growing is、right. everywhere now.、Mm. Now,、uh, I think Dongjin just mentioned a very important phenomenon, which is、uh, you know uh, the uh, what people are trying to get fit in various kinds of sports, and not just you know staying on fitness programs or going to the gyms.、Uh, Dennis, what's your take on that? What's your observation? I mean,、uh, apart from、uh, you know gyms and maybe running, what are some other you know sports? Uh, that Chinese people are taking off these days. Yeah, I mean, if we talk about new new sports that、mm. that I'd say Chinese people are taking up,、um, from what I'm seeing and what I see, my colleagues and friends, I think ultimate frisbee is a really interesting one.、Mm. Um, I see a lot of people getting involved. It's a fun, very interactive, communal sport which people of all levels can take part in. And China is actually launching its first ever ultimate frisbee league. This month, so I think that's a really interesting one to watch moving forward, because、um, you know it, it's outdoors and it, it's very inclusive of all people. So that's one that I find、um, very interesting.、Mm. There's another one called padel,、um, which is kind of a a mi mix of、um, tennis and squash,、mm -hmm. and I'm seeing more and more of these courts popping up around Shanghai and other places.、Um, so that's、uh, that's an interesting one. Obviously, there's always the sort of badmintons and, and table tennis, and even American football and, and soccer.、Mm. Um, I'm seeing increasing numbers of people taking part in these. And then I've just mentioned running. I feel like running is just becoming hugely, hugely popular over the last few years.、Mm. Again, it's that sense of community.、Um, it's not an individual sport in terms of you're not doing it by yourself. You're, you're running with. It can be hundreds or thousands of other people and. Most of the time, they're with friends or or people that have joined the clubs.、Mm. Um, so I'd say these these types of sports,、um, ones where they're sort of very interactive and, and can be can be done、um, in many locations around the city.、Um, but yeah, I think ultimate frisbee is definitely one to watch. We've been watching this closely over the last sort of six months. Probably about fifty percent of our company play it every week.、Um, <laughs> they just find it really enjoyable. Right. Um, so yeah, from from my observation, those are some of the sports that that I see、uh, the lo local people taking up.、Mm. Well, I have to confess that、uh, I'm one of those people who were joining, you know, running in the past a few years.、Uh, I wanted to run a marathon, but I hurt my knees before that. So, but luckily, I can still do a lot of other sports because, you know, we have more variety these days. Uh, uh, as you know, both of you have、uh, talked about. Um, but Andy, what what how do how do you attribute you know the、uh, you know the rising variety of these new sports that were just mentioned by Dennis?、Uh, how do you see you know the background of that, either you know societal or cultural? Well, I think one of the、mm -hmm. interesting things we've seen、uh, in the last say twenty years or so so in China、mm -hmm. is this、uh, evolution of what does it mean to live a good life. So,、um, you know, historically, China was a Confucian stratified society with scholars at the top. So, in fact, to look fit, 
to would suggest you were perhaps a farmer or a laborer and therefore lower in the uh, social hierarchy. Um, but what we've seen today, again, with uh, economic development and not just the need for fitness, but I think changing ideals for women, say, of beauty, mm. that it used to be a, what was considered beautiful in China was a more delicate person with very, very white skin. Mm. And while this hasn't completely gone away, I think now most, especially urbanized uh, women, and I think men as well, again, this norm has changed, that looking fit is considered beautiful. So there's that. There's also, as we move up this ladder away from physical survival, um, looking to fulfill higher order needs, mm. that these individual sports are a form of self-expression, uh, you know, you to do well at ultimate frisbee, to do well at any uh, ice hockey is another one that I think is has been uh, getting some traction uh, in China. It takes dedication, it takes practice, um, and that these really provide uh, enormous fulfillment um, if you find the right fit for the right sport. And I think these are some of the main drivers. The chat lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Now, I wanted to talk about, you know, the impact of COVID because, I mean, it is so big that, you know, it is uh, everybody is um, influenced by it. Uh, well, since the beginning of uh, COVID in late 2019 and uh, early 2020, I mean, apart from, uh, you know, maybe not being able to go to go to the gyms uh, as often what are you know some of the changes uh, in chinese people's fitness habits uh, maybe let me start with dong jun yeah by my own uh, observation in mm. beijing in my own community I, I think maybe in the first couple of months in the early 2020 uh, a lot of people scared people chose to stay indoor without going out even mm. But very quickly, they started to walk out and do a lot of walking, mm. uh, maybe in, in couples. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I did see so many people walking on the same path and in the same route with us uh, for several months. Uh, you know, that's a lot of uh, outdoor uh, practicing and exercises that uh, we didn't even fancy before because we always assume that we should go back to the gym mm. uh, instead of uh, walking outside that that activity belonged to the retired people uh, but now uh, you know more people have been are doing and they are not uh, re readily giving up uh, the walking uh, habit but at the same time i think uh, we cannot say that gyms are as popular or as busy as before because mm -hmm. of the, the countermeasures against the outbreak. Almost all fitness facilities have witnessed uh, multiple times of uh, shutting down and reopening. Mm. And even now, those owners are kind of nervous. Well, uh, talking about that, uh, I mean, as someone who's living in Beijing, I the the retired uh, group of people, uh, you know, doing square dance is like something that you cannot uh, ignore. You see every day on the street. I, I, I think that's an envy for the entire world, <laughs> you know, the, the rest of the world, mm. because you don't worry about most of the retirees, especially mm. in, in cities to do their own, 
you know, <laughs> uh, movements because, uh, because generally speaking, the Chinese people retire a bit earlier、right. than Western people, and、mm. they need to figure out what to do in groups or、mm. as individuals. And you do see、uh, crowds everywhere、mm. uh, doing their dancing or、uh, ping pong or everything.、Mm. You don't worry about them. Right, right.、Um, I just want to mention that because I think it is important. You know, it's an important aspect of、uh, you know the entire Chinese population keeping fit. In- yeah, it's not、mm-hmm. exactly not necessarily that they feel the importance of keeping fit,、mm. but staying home they feel too too lonely. <laughs> They need to get back to their community, right? I,、yeah. I no. Okay, let me ask Dennis. I mean, as someone you know who's、uh, originally coming from、uh, outside China, what's your take? What? How do? How do you see the phenomenon of、uh, square dance、um, in China? <laughs> I mean,、mm. I think it's very unique to China.、Mm. I've, I've never seen it anywhere else in the world.、Um, when people visit China or they arrive in China for the first time and they see these groups of elderly people. Um, dancing in uniform to music, they absolutely love it, and they、mm. they always find it fascinating and, and really good because I think the elder generations from the UK and other places they're not as active as as, as Chinese elderly generation. They're not out in the parks or in the squares dancing and keeping fit.、Um, so I think there's sort of a maybe not a jealousy is the right <laughs> word, but they wish that you know they're sort of. Countries were were doing this, and were were as open and, and welcoming to the elder generations to be to be doing these types of activities.、Mm. Uh, and yeah, I, I just think it's a, a brilliant cultural thing and a great way for people to to stay fit and healthy. I mean, even in the depths of midwinter or the heaps of midsummer, oh yeah, they're still out there doing it. You know,、mm. come rain or shine, <laughs> nothing is going to stop them.、Mm. So yeah, no, I think it's it's fantastic.、Mm. Well, well, back to COVID a little bit more、uh, because、um, during the past, I guess,、uh, two or three years,、uh, we have seen like a growing number of、uh, Chinese young people, or I mean, even you know,、um, just、uh, people who work in offices more and more turning to online, you know, digital、uh, fitness、uh, apps. Such as one of the most popular,、uh, a few popular ones are you know Keep or、uh, some other you know、um, running platforms or fitness programs.、Um, I mean, Andy, wh- wh- how do you, how do you see these platforms, and what do you think are the、uh, you know unique about them?、Uh, what's the、uh, disadvantage of that?、Uh, those platforms. Well, I think there's certainly no surprise. I mean, given that every aspect of our lives are becoming digitized,、mm-hmm. um, so you know, fitness should not be an exception. I think it serves as a complement. Of course, there will be some people that prefer, and I have friends like this too, that would prefer to work out at home with a fitness app. But we talked about the、uh, so-called square dancing, and I think that. <laughs> One of the most important aspects of fitness is not just physical health and mental health that you get from working out, you know, releasing stress, etc.,、mm. uh, but the social element as well. So, in my own view, I think it, they certainly have a place,、uh, especially if people travel、uh, for work、um, and you don't have time to go find a gym wherever you are.、Uh, these apps are very good.、Uh, there's certainly many, many of them, and it's not just. The apps, but you look on、uh, TikTok, Douyin.、Mm. Uh, there are many, many videos now 
about teaching you different exercises or inspiring you to be more fit. So again, I think we can trace this back to this changing notion of what the good life is mm-hmm. and being physically active, uh, being looking like you're physically active is seen as an ideal, whereas historically in China, that might have been less desirable. Mm. Well, Andy, um, earlier you mentioned, you know, uh, how the uh, the, the markets uh, in this industry in China is becoming, you know, more and more uh, attractive maybe to investors. Um can you can you explain elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, I mean, either for I mean for maybe for both domestic and international investors, how do how does the prospects of China's uh, you know fitness market look like at the moment? Well, that's a very very complex question. Mm. So, the superficial answer, the macro view, is that this is such a big market. Of course, it's a great opportunity. But I think you have to really look at the details because mm. while it's true, uh, this market, I think, will continue to grow. It's a very challenging market as well because it's so diverse, not only in what you can offer. I'll just give you a very, very uh, quick example. Mm. There are gyms in Beijing that are, I think, like 3,000 square meters, so about 30,000 square feet, mm. a big cool, lots of expensive equipment, um, classes, nice classrooms, etc. Very, very high end. There are these workout studios as well, as I mentioned. So from an investment perspective, I think we have to look at without getting too into the weeds in this, (laughs) you know, how big investment are you making? Are you investing uh, $100,000? Are you looking to invest $50 million? Uh, Really matters. What seems to have been a struggle, and maybe our other panelists will have more insight into this, is Mm. that I don't think there have been any nationally successful fitness chains in China. Whereas you look in a place like the US, they come and go, but when they are successful, uh, investors can make money. You know, these, I think some of these have gone public. What is it? Um, LA Fitness, 24 Hour Fitness, All right, uh, yeah. Planet Fitness. Mm. Uh, these uh, national chains are maybe what you're thinking of when we think about national scale investment. But of course, there are many, many investment opportunities in gyms, in equipment. Uh, maybe even in uh, training institutes for producing certain yoga instructors, you know, Olympic lifting instructors, et cetera. Many, many opportunities, but I think we have to look at the details. Mm. Uh, Dong Jun, what, what's what do you think, especially about what Andy mentioned? You know, there we haven't seen any you know successful national chains um, in this area. I, I think uh, it's pretty natural for again, for a country you know without the deep-rooted tradition of practicing those new sports, and then you know things may change in every three or five years, and uh, you know something really, really extremely popular then turn out to be a you know disappeared fad, and uh, but that also means uh, an increasing. Uh, great opportunities for alternative sports to try the Chinese market. I think uh, uh, the positive development is uh, both out because of the you know economic structural changes mm. and also because of government policies. 
uh, I think a lot of people from students to adults have been diverted or uh, migrated from uh, a lot of hard work uh, at their desk or at the uh, manufacturing uh, production lines. And they are being freed up. They have much, much more leisure time now. And even especially after the pandemic, sometime, you know, ends Mm. and you will find people really, really with a lot of time to kill. (laughs) And that would mean that uh, more opportunities uh, for new sports to come into China and try uh, see uh, how it fares. But at the same time, Mm. I think Chinese people, relatively speaking, they Mm. are also purpose driven. (laughs) <laughs> they want to tell themselves what exactly they want to achieve mm. in three or five years. And uh, if not, you know, pursuing a professional career and what they, where they want to get. Uh, and then there is a popular mentality among people, especially young people. It's called Nei <laughs> Juan. Uh, is, is, right. is it already getting overcrowded? Mm. Uh, is it becoming more and more difficult for me to to be excellent to you know beat other competitors right. in this particular sport? And then if there are other uh, you know options, they want to try the other thing. They will try the new especially thing. when mm-hmm. they have idols like uh, Guailing or mm-hmm. you know th- th- those sports were not among the traditional <laughs> you know shortlist for them to pick. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then, uh, Dennis, do you, do you think, um, you know, the industry or the market in China is still a little bit uh, primitive? Um, and do you agree with, uh, you know, Dong Jun and Andy that maybe, you know, the, 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 there aren't really national, you know, successful national brands in this area? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree. And, you know, thinking about this, I can come from a slightly different angle because um, right. we work with a lot of Western sports organizations, mm-hmm. you know, the, the NBA, the USC, um, and we always advise them that when they're coming into China or they're, they're doing sort of new strategies in China, that you always have to abide by and fall in line with the government's policies. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're going to have a very difficult time being successful. Um, so when the national sort of fitness goals were announced, we were sort of advising them and they were asking us, you know, how do we get involved in fitness? How do we align with the government and, you know, show mm. that we we care about China and that we're willing to invest in China? Um, and this has sort of led to the NBA doing sort of some partnerships with, with local gyms or local um, sort of government bureaus mm. uh usc did a fitness program with migu um which is part of china mobile uh, right and that's their official broadcast partner in china so they tried to sort of layer that partnership so it wasn't just a pure broadcast partnership they were adding in elements of fitness obviously the usc has a big performance institute in shanghai where they train not only their own athletes but they've been training chinese olympians so that shows a way of how they're they're trying to give back to the to the country and show that they're invested. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. You know, I don't see you know like a big standout gym chain or big fitness chain, one that is really kind of monopolizing or, or conquering mm. the market here. Um, I almost feel like I go to different cities and I see different brands or different names for 
the gyms um whereas in i guess some western mm. countries you have the you know one or two key key brands that are kind of dominating that that sector of the industry mm. um now Dennis, I, I just want to follow up on that because you work uh, with a lot of these, uh, you know, Western brands that's trying to come into the Chinese market. I mean, what are some of the challenges that they face, the common challenges that they face, you know, when they try to saturate into the Chinese market? Yeah, I mean, look, every client or potential client we have that comes into market, they have a different strategy or they're at a different phase. So for someone like the MBA, they've been in market for 20, 30 years now um, compared to someone who's a bit newer and looking, you know, at an entry stage. But some of the the advice that we give um, when when they're coming into China is you really have to think long term. Mm. You can absolutely not come into China and expect to make good money within 12 months and then turn around and leave. You really have to respect the market, invest in the market. Play, play the long game and then eventually you will you will see returns if you've done it right and the mba is the perfect example of that mm-hmm. the mba were on cctv before any other western sports um organization and they were you know showing their content to, to the millions of fans on, on cctv this was before digital even exploded um so they really got in there early and and you know the the, the you know, mm. bearing the fruits now and they're, and they're reaping the rewards. Um, so I guess the first advice is is play the long game. Right. And the second game is you have to invest in the market. You have to either open your own office and build a team or hire hire an agency that you trust and, and are willing to work with. Um, you have to understand the culture, the nuances, the people, the fans that you're talking to. Um, otherwise, you, you're going to have trouble because... The sports fans here are very sophisticated. Mm. They'll know if you don't really care about China and you're just taking content from your Western social media channels and putting subtitles on. That might have worked 10 years ago, but it doesn't anymore. You've got to be producing content in China, you know, for Chinese people and making it relevant with really, you know, organic touch points and and, and nuances. Um, And that's how you engage the fans. The consumers here mm. um, so yeah th- those are some of the key things that we we try to drill into our our clients when when they're working in china mm. well um i guess all three of you already mentioned the supervision or the let's say the pride the chinese government put in you know promoting sports all over the country uh the dennis do you think uh you know this kind of uh government um in incentivization, let's put it that way, or supervision, unique, uh, uniquely Chinese. Well, I think obviously it's a bit different in China, given mm. that it's a communist country, and, and the government are always, you know, bringing in new new policies or, mm. or changing them, and, and the consumers and the people in China have to sort of, you know, fo- follow those or, or, or get on board with them. So I think, yeah, it's. I guess it, the the other two panelists are probably better positioned than me right. they understand <laughs> more the historical side of the country and how, mm. how that has grown mm. um, what, but what, mm. what we're always looking to do is whenever there's new policies or there's new actions from the government we we try to understand them as best we can and then figure out how we can how we can leverage with them or partner with them for the best mm. um, situation for our clients okay well let, let's let's hear from andy what, what do you think on this issue well i think on the one hand um china's Uh, political structure is unique Mm. in that there is the absolute ability to transmit uh, government directives 
direction uh, from the highest central level at Zhongnanhai mm. down to the neighborhood level. And of course, we've seen this in uh, with COVID. But we see it in other ways, too, related to fitness in that, especially in Beijing, but I've seen this in other parts of China, too, that when a decision is made, you know, you see now in almost every neighborhood compound uh, or housing development, there's outdoor fitness equipment. Mm. There's been the greening of parks. So running paths marked with, you know, 100 meters, 200 meters. Um, that this is really a, a national phenomenon that I think it's difficult for other countries to replicate that don't have that direct uh, vertical structure. Mm. So I think that's uh, one thing that's that's quite important. I think the other thing, too, is, uh, again, this uh, organic shift in what does it mean to live a good life. Mm. Um, you know, one of the differences uh, in the West is that, you know, there is for a longer period of time this feeling you should be active, right? Don't be a couch potato, et cetera, <laughs> that this norm uh, is different. And there's an organic change, but of course the government is actively looking to educate, encourage people as well. So I think there are cultural differences. Uh, there are differences in political structure that mm. we can see uh, these changes happening really right before our eyes. Mm. Well, Dongjin, do you, do you have, uh, do you agree with them and do you have something to add on? I think throughout our discussion, I, mm. I try to remind of uh, historically or over the last century, mm. uh, the government's role, how important the government role has been. Mm. Because for such a large population, uh, just more than 100 years ago, had little idea what modern sports were about. Uh, they, they do play. The government plays a very important role. But now in this first century, my own interpretation is the government is trying to play the leading role. And uh, I think I think the population or various sectors of the society are trying to look up to the government to figure out what's being established at the right value mm -hmm. for society, for mm -hmm. the population. And the government cannot give up that role because, you know, uh, after 40 years of reforming and opening up, mm -hmm. uh, I think people now tend to follow the government's, uh, you know, value uh, in, mm. is instructing the entire population or business. So when we come to the market, it's more about business development. I really doubt mm. that the government wants to, you know, be responsible for everything. It's impossible. Right. It's, uh, I think the government just wants to give the direction, and this is the direction that I like, I favor, mm. and then the rest of it, uh, on various tiers of the business of the of the chain, it's up to society. Mm. It's up to businesses to figure out how to uh, you know develop, invest, and develop. Uh, but I think the, a, a thorny issue now is the proper interaction between the government on the top mm. and uh, businesses in the middle uh, to make this you know, growth, social growth, as well as business development, mm. sustainable. Right. And I, I think there is a tremendous room for improvement for both <laughs> sides to do. Mm. Uh, maybe the central government and governments 
on the municipal level have a better idea how to deal with the business community,、mm. but not everywhere.、Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, considering how big the country is and how big the population is,、mm. I guess、uh, every national drive, when it is, it is implemented at different levels of the country, there will be,、uh, let's say, more complications or more, you know, nuances that people have to take care of. I think. But the general,、mm. the big picture is you have 1.4 billion people, right? And、yeah. you have a large land. Area, yes, and、uh, and sports. It's a、uh, offline, <laughs> you know, physical, real activity,、mm-hmm. and there is no reason for you not to. You know,、mm. imagine or envision something.、Mm. Well, I, I, when we talk about you know the government role, we cannot omit you know the two Olympics that that's being held in Beijing.、Uh, Dennis, in, in your observation, how do you see you know the the role that these two Olympics uh in you know promoting, I don't know Chinese people's awareness of the sport.、Mm. Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely huge. I think it's any time an Olympics takes place. In whichever country it takes place in, is going to have a profound impact、um, mm. on that city, on that country. I wasn't here for the Beijing Games, unfortunately,、mm. um, but you know, people still talk about it today. Its legacy. It really was China sort of opening up to the world in terms of sport,、um, and I think it was arguably the biggest moment for Chinese sports that,、um, that mm. There, mm. there's ever been. So I think that legacy, you know, really. Made a huge impact、um, mm. for, for Chinese people and, and, and their sort of、um, growth in sports, and but also the outside world looking into China and being like, "Oh wow, China is a you know a, a huge sort of force in this global sporting world," and, and it put them on the map even further.、Mm. And then obviously with the with the Beijing Olympics, there was it was touch and go, I believe, whether it would happen, but it, it was great that it eventually did. It's got millions of millions of people more involved in you know, ice and snow sports, and it's built new heroes for the company,、um, <laughs> uh, for the country. Sorry,、mm. yeah, I, I think both both of the Olympics have, have had a huge,、um, huge impact to the country, and for Beijing to become the first ever city in the world to host both, I think speaks volumes for 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 that city and, and for China as as a country that it it has done this.、Um, mm. And yeah, hopefully, you know, we see a World Cup here soon in the future. <laughs>、um, once borders open up a bit more freely, we're、mm-hmm. going to have the the Hangzhou Asian Games coming up next、right. next、uh, next year. So yeah, plenty to look forward to. But the Olympics have really set a, a big benchmark and, and, and done done the country proud.、Uh, Andy, what do you think? What, what's your take on this? Well, I think that of course,、um, major events like the Olympics.、Um, Certainly, do have an impact.、Um, we should not underestimate the physical infrastructure that's created. I mean, if we look in Beijing,、uh, the venues for the Olympics really, I think, have been、uh, a stimuli for many, many people that live here. So, certainly, it is all part of one. Uh, package, as it were. The other thing I want to point out too that's happening at a macro level is that China is shifting,、uh, has been shifting for many、mm. years now,、uh, from an export-led, infrastructure-led economy to a consumption-driven one. Right. And encouraging fitness is an important part of that because a lot of the business opportunity. We've been talking a lot about gyms, but in fact, some of the biggest.、Um, 
business opportunities are in equipment apparel. So, you know, there are many foreign companies that have done well here, but also a number of uh, Chinese companies that are doing well in the local market and starting to go global as well. So, uh, you know, I think this is also playing a very important role in this uh, transition to a consumption-led society or a consumption-led economy. Mm. Well, um, don't you? I guess you have worked for you know both uh, Olympics in Beijing in some capacity. Um, what's your observation? You know, um, you know how that has changed the whole in you know Chinese entire population. I think it would take more years to for、mm. us to evaluate the impact of the Winter Games well,、right. uh, for the country. But for two thousand and eight, that was a truly a historic milestone. Uh, not only you know sporting wise, but also culturally,、uh, that was、uh, so important and very you know、uh, inevitable in our development, social、mm. development.、Um, yeah, but you know I I'm still trying to <laughs> rationalize <laughs> the idea of you know for a mega city to host both games. Yeah, because the Winter、mm. Games usually are preferred to be given to a small. City or group area, of cities, not、right. too far away from a metropolitan area,、mm. but of course,、uh, you know, in a Western sense,、uh, Yanqing is another city, <laughs> is right, another、indeed. place. <laughs> yeah, I think if、um, if we can expect the pandemic to end as po- as quickly as possible,、uh, I think uh, those uh, Olympic uh, legacy venues will be made use of by. People from around China and even people from Africa,、mm. uh, from other places that are short of such winter sports facilities, who come to China for a maybe government sub- subsidized program for them to get access、mm. to the sports that even the International Olympic Committee、uh, couldn't have imagined before because of、uh, you know such government sponsored、uh, constructed facilities. Are available. Yeah, I guess you're right.、Uh, you know, when you see, it、uh, will take some time before we actually grasp the、uh, entire purpose or the meaning of the, the the Winter Olympics in Beijing. But in all, I think、uh, you know the government is trying to give some sort of guidance into the industry in the country, and certainly this is a booming market, and a lot of、uh, investors are looking into it. And there's certainly you know a lot to look forward to. You know, for Chinese people to become more fit and more healthy. Thank you all for joining me today. We'll be. Talking to Dongjun, co-founder of EI Asia Limited, a cultural business advisory firm. Dennis Green, international PR director at Mailman Group, a global sports digital consultancy, and Andy Mark, senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. To our listeners, thank you for staying with us. Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing.